Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor and I are recording this show on Thursday, August 15th, 2019, which is two days after Angry Birds 2 opened in theaters on a Tuesday, Drew. Uh, I'm trying to remember the last time something opened in a theater on a Tuesday. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting move. It changed its release date so last minute too. Do you remember that? It was like two week, two or three weeks ago. They were like, "Oh, we're we're opening two days early." So, I don't know if that's sort of to capitalize on the like last minute school holidays or or what. But yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I know that kids are going back to school in in Florida. In fact, I think they went back to work last week or there, right? So. Um, but it seemed to have done well. I mean, opening day uh, pulled in 2.6 million worth of tickets uh, here in North America. If you go over to Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 73% freshness rating, which is a significant improvement over the first Angry Birds movie, which uh, came out May 2016 and only managed to get a 44. Did you get to see it? Uh, the no, last I haven't. Time? I haven't seen it yet. I, I never saw the the first movie, but mm-hmm. this is kind of the response to this one has kind of piqued my interest to watching the first one. Did you see it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the interesting thing is that um, Josh Gad did a voice for it, and so you know, I got to interview him out ahead of that. And this was back when Josh was getting ready to do his Sam Kinison movie which um, I really wish he had gone forward with. I guess they, they weren't able to crack the script. But yeah, he he seemed, you know, pretty enthusiastic about it. So, you know, I eventually saw it. It, it was entertaining, not the, the greatest thing I've ever seen. But, I, you know, but I, I guess what it, it cost $73 million to make, uh, sold $170 million worth of tickets in North America, uh, $224 overseas, so worldwide gross of... 352 million so not really surprised we're getting a second one right kind of interesting to see that the cost on this one went down i mean it's it's 68 versus 73 but uh or so be 65 uh but that you know suggests that you know they're they're running a tighter ship over at, at sony these days and see what else uh dropped in the last week or so oh 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 uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling. Uh, we'd been talking about that. Right. What did you think? I, I really liked it. I thought it was really fun. Um, I thought it was the perfect amount of time, because if it was any longer, I don't think it would have been quite as successful. And it was it was extremely meta, which I was not expecting. And might uh, clue you off as to why it did not air on Nickelodeon. It was a little bit more sophisticated, I think, than... Um, than they were ready for. But I love that there was the trans character. That was a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I thought it was very charming and, and funny. I, I have to admit, though, in order for it to work, you really did have to be familiar with the original series. I, I, ha- you know, I didn't necessarily watch it as often as I could or should, uh, so it didn't play quite as well for me. But I, I have to admit that they the, what was it, the O-Phone 9, 10 oh, gag. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of like, really? You know, that, that, <laughs> that's your right-to-the-moment, you know, satire. But I have to admit, I, I love the, the Rachel character. and But at the same time, it makes me wonder, okay, if this was this way and Nickelodeon opted not to show it, what's the deal with Invader Zim? Isn't that later this month as well? Or? It's tomorrow. 
Oh, well, yeah. there we go. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll know soon enough. Okay, well. Yeah. It did make me kind of, it, 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 it was sort of an acid flashback to 90s indie animation. <laughs> <laughs> so, this like, is true. This you is know. true. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of flashbacks, and now we're going back to, to 82 with their butts, uh, the Dark Crystal, you know, again, Jim Henson's attempt at doing a big epic fantasy that, you know, I mean, again, it, it's, it's interesting. Henson fans and a lot of genre fans really love this film. Uh, didn't necessarily do all that well at the box office, but time has been kind to it, and and now here we have an age of resistance. Um, you know, the it's a limited series, but, you know, with potential for, what, a, a second or third? Is that correct? Or? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, we're talking about it because there was this new trailer this week, which I thought was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really connected with The Dark Crystal that much. I thought it was always kind of a little al- aloof emotionally. And obviously... If you read, like, the Brian J. Jones book on Jim Henson, mm-hmm. you understand how fraught a project that was oh, b- yeah, bet- yeah. between how many people they had rewriting it. And mm-hmm. there was a time when the whole movie was in a, like, elfin language. <laughs> they had well, to yeah. Go. What was it? that they, I, The Skeksis supposedly spoke Egyptian. The, what, the pod people spoke Polish. Yeah, there was, it was, it was an interesting idea. I, I, in fact, I think we've talked previously about the the infamous screening where uh jim henson showed it for the executives at universal and you know they put all this time all this effort into it and you know the the movie ends and the universal executives get out of the room without saying a word and henson bursts into tears during the screening room because it's you know fairly obvious what's about to happen and so i guess for me it's interesting to have a prequel now um, right. That that and they made such a big deal about how the puppeteering was going to be done practically. But uh, I think again, one of the reasons that you and I are talking about this is if you watch that trailer, there's quite a bit of CG in this thing. Oh yeah, there's a lot, yeah. including full body uh, characters and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and and it also has an interesting connection to to animation because. Uh, you'll remember that Gendy Tartakovsky was going to do a Dark Crystal movie That's at one right. point. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, what could have you're been... You're breaking my heart again, Drew, here. You know, just <laughs> of, all right, you know, that, that's, you know, Primal's going to be my little, you know, life preserver to hang on to until Gendy gets back to work. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, look, speaking of, of, you know, giant figures in the animation world, uh, one of them found themselves in the spotlight in not necessarily all that pleasant a way this week, and that was Simpson creator Matt Groening. Um, yeah, but well, how do we how do we feel about that? Well, you know, I mean, if you know, I was telling Nancy the story in the car the other day when we were, we were headed to a doctor's appointment. And the problem is that uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, folks, it was. Matt Groening accepted a ride on Jeffrey Epstein, and not the Disney publicist Jeffrey Epstein's name, but the the the, the gentleman who <laughs> died under kind of interesting circumstances this past weekend. Right. Um, he accepted a, a ride on his plane. I want to say from San Francisco down to L.A. or I, I forget the exact circumstances. So not a very long plane trip. 
And, you know, the, but I guess on board was one of Mr. Epstein's youngish young ladies. And I, I guess Jeffrey insisted that she give Matt Groening a foot massage. And, you know, and, and the thing is, this, this woman's diary got published as part of the investigation as, as Epstein was arrested. And you know, it's, are, have you read the, 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 the diary excerpt, Drew? Or? Uh, I believe I read the excerpt, yeah. 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 Uh, as a guy in his 1960, or, or, or excuse me, a guy in his 60s, uh, you know, she describes the fact that, well, she, she, you know, had him take off his shoes and he took off his, his socks and there was little white fuzz on them and he had gnarled yellow, yeah. you know, toenails. And it's one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, well, this, this must have been a pleasure. Uh, but she goes off, she gets a yeah. washcloth and she, she, she you know, uh, cleans off his feet, gives him a foot massage. And as a thank you, uh, Matt draws uh, a picture of Homer, a picture of Bart autographs him for her father and her brother and the flight's over and he's gone and it's so it's like as far as scandalous stories go it's gross i i I don't know how actually scandalous it is but um i think you and i were talking the reason we're bringing this up is that what is it saturday august 24th at the d23 expo there's going to be a big panel, you know, basically, you know, again, you know, as part of that $71.3 billion acquisition of Fox, the Simpsons became part of the Disney family. And so Matt's supposed to be on stage there uh, as the creator talking up these characters. And I think you and I were both kind of wondering, is this enough of a story to say, have Matt suddenly be busy with his family or have a health issue and not attend? Or what do you think? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because you and I have both been told that this is like the big coming out party for The Simpsons, basically. Mm-hmm. Like they're joining the family. This is a big to do. So it would be interesting if that kind of derailed it. And I don't, I mean, it is a really weird, creepy story, but mm-hmm. I think the bigger issue is like, how close did he have to be to Jeffrey Epstein to get invited on this plane? Yeah. Was this something that that he just kind of handed out to people? Or is this, you know, indicative of a larger issue that could potentially be uncovered now that he's dead and, you know, everybody's going to be coming out of the woodwork to tell the stories of, of what went on? Um, but it's interesting. I mean, that we you've seen the, the animation community rocked by a number of kind of, you know, um, sexual harassment scandals, whether it's mm-hmm. the the Loud House guy mm-hmm. or uh, John Kay and all those stories that were coming out about him last mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah. So it's kind of interesting to put in that context, too, of like where that kind of fits in. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he, he shows up. Yeah, and, and let's be honest also that, that this is going to be the first D23 Expo without John Lasseter. Yeah, and and John, you know, I mean, you know, how many of those presentations did you go to, Drew? Where there's John on stage with his T-shirt cannon, and you know, in front of a car crowd where he's a rock star. Um, yeah, last D twenty three. Do you remember the? Um, you were there, right? The last last year, last that two, it was. That um, it was. Do you remember the the exhibition of all of his Hawaiian shirts? 
Good lord, you're right. And wow. then they sold a new Hawaiian shirt for $200. And now every time I see somebody mm-hmm. walking around in one of those shirts, I'm just like, why are you wearing that? Like, that is the most tone-deaf thing you can do. But mm-hmm. it's true. I, I mean, he was really... He was the star of the the annual, you know, animation presentation. Um, he often seemed like he'd had a few drinks before he went on, but but nonetheless. And people treated him like a rock star. I remember talking to a friend of mine, mm-hmm. a publicist at Pixar last time, at the Pixar booth. Mm-hmm. And he walked up, and there were just the, there was just this swarm of people around mm-hmm. him. Like, it, you know, it was, it was, he was really a beetle he at D23. So... Uh, now not so much. Well, I just, I, I have to wonder, because, you know, face it, you know, this is going to be the first time, basically, Pete Doctor's debut as the new face of Pixar, and just going to be interesting to see what he does and how he does it. Um, well, I mean, I think if we see any footage from Soul that that will, that'll say a lot more than he could ever say, because I feel like that movie's going to be really awesome based on what I've heard and seen from it, so... I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Well, well, here's hoping. Uh, anyway, uh, doubling back on 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 Fox, I, uh, just last week we had uh, Disney announce its third quarter earnings, and you know it's it's ironic that this is this is Disney Studios. Okay. Uh, in fact, what was it? Just earlier this week, Lion King blew past Frozen. To be the what? Well, again, that's a funny thing unto itself. Is that initially the the talk was that because John Favreau's photoreal Lion King had earned 1.3 billion dollars, it was now dis- it had passed Frozen, the the original Frozen released in, in 2013, uh, as Disney's top earning animated film. And uh, were you intrigued by the fact that Disney actually pushed back to the fact that well, no, 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 it's it's not an animated film, you know? It's- I I saw that. It, yeah, they were like, it's our it's our top grossing movie, live action movie. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what? That, that's a one shot. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get a one shot out of it. But yeah, I mean, you have all these billion-dollar earning films this year: Endgame with two billion, and Captain Marvel with one billion, one hundred twenty-eight million, and even uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, because it's a Columbia Marvel Studios co-production, some of that money's going into Disney's pocket. And of course, you and I have talked about all Guy Ritchie's Aladdin and and Toy Story Four. But um, interesting thing: you have that many billion-dollar earnings. And but you still, uh, Wall Street still was disappointed with how Disney did in its third quarter, and mm-hmm. uh, some of that was due to a weaker than expected performances from parks and resorts, and we've kind of talked about Galaxy's Edge previously. Uh, but the more interesting thing is that that people were quick to point at. Fox and you know the whole notion of oh well you know there's these costs with the merger and they've got to shut down all of these films that Fox had in development and it's just sort of like really that this is the story that people are surprised when you buy a you know another company and attempt to merge it with your company that there are going to be you know, uh, <laughs> unexpected costs and, you know, uh, folding divisions in one another and separation packages and that sort of thing. I mean, um, yeah, it's not like when you bought Lucasfilm and you made back 
the $4 billion on one movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a long game. And you, you were saying before we started about all the kind of growing pains of, of the ABC Capital Cities acquisition. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, people forget that, you know, back in July of 1995, when Disney announced that they were going to buy Cap Cities for $19 billion, I, it it took them till February of 96 to complete the acquisition. But as, as late as August of 99, um, in fact, the, the Los Angeles Times has this great story about how there are key personnel uh, who work for ABC, big-time executives that were you know, thought to be a crucial part of the network's success, who were refusing to move from New York to L.A. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I think this was just after Disney built the new ABC headquarters right next to the, um, the well, now it's the, 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 the Roy E. Disney building. But you know, here they, they built this this marvelous new headquarters, and it's like, no, no, I'm I, I live in New York. I'm not moving to L.A. So, you know, if people are expecting that the Fox, the the costs of merging Disney with Fox, or the personnel problems, or you know, all of those issues are going to go away anytime soon, it's like there'll be years yet before this is yeah. actually resolved. So. Oh, you know what I wanted to bring up that we didn't even talk about before the show, but you saw that Viacom and Paramount have merged. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, or not, Viacom and CBS have merged. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think that this will finally get Paramount animation in a better place? Oh, boy. I honestly don't know. I mean, you okay. know, that's... In fact, on uh, second half of today's show, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the big news coming out of Disney in regard to Blue Sky. But yeah, you know, what, what was fascinating to me was that, you know, I'm sure you saw the, the same articles that I did, that it's like, okay, so Viacom and CBS are together, and and now Star Trek, and appropriately enough, given that you're the guy who does Light the Fuse, that, you know, Mission Impossible is, you know, going to be, you know, the, one of these big franchises that's going to put gas in the tank for the new Viacom CBS. Um, yeah, they said it will be expanded across all platforms. And you and you should see that n- nobody really reported that stuff about Mission Impossible, and I tweeted about it, and people are so mad. It's really interesting. They're like, well, they're going to ruin it. They're going to... And it's like, I don't know. I think, I mean, I really, do you have CBS All Access? Because it's a really terrific platform. Well, I have to admit that, you know, we watched uh, the first season of Star Trek Discovery. And, you know, every so often, especially with Picard looming, it's like, it turned into Nancy. It's like, we really have to do season two of, of Discovery. I mean, it just, it, you know, it's it's Captain Pike. You know, we've we got to catch up. And it just sort of right. like, it's like, well, you know, there there is that whole laundry, you know, going to the doctor, shoveling snow thing. You know, just, you have other parts of your life. You know, I mean, it's just the whole <laughs> notion of, do I have time for 10 hours of television? And and Nancy's nieces were just out in Las, uh, Las Vegas for the Star Trek convention. And they were talking, uh, you know, they did full presentations about Picard. They did full presentations about uh, Lower Decks. The, uh, by the way, that's an animated series, Drew, yep. so that that's yep. in our wheelhouse. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it just sort of, I don't know, from the Mission Impossible side of the fence, I, you know, it was like the, the Paramount Park news that broke out of the UK mm-hmm. and how supposedly there's going to be a Mission Impossible attraction there. And yeah, um, I don't but know. Now it looks like that one could open before the South Korea park. Really? It's all very interesting. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, we talked about Garfield becoming a part of the um, Nickelodeon staple last mm-hmm. week. Yep. And uh, obviously Nickelodeon Films is something that they've been trying to kind of get off the ground. And the only real success with that are the SpongeBob movies. We've got another SpongeBob movie next year. We've got mm-hmm. the Sonic the Hedgehog movie next year. I don't know. I wonder if there is going to be sort of an infusion of creativity from the TV side into the, the feature side and not not just in terms of adaptations, but just in terms of personnel and borrowing people from these shows. And I don't know. I, I, I really wonder if it's going to finally... Because you and I, I mean, we could do 10 episodes about the kind of ups and downs of Paramount animation. Oh, um, absolutely. But, but, but more to the point, I, you know, just it's the notion of how does a Paramount animation in this hyper-competitive field of, of, of animation right now carve out a distinct identity for itself. Because let's face it, you know, this is kind of the situation that Blue Sky is in now that Disney has decided to, you know, to really get behind the, the, that studio. And it, I'll tell you what, folks, we'll, we'll, it, it, Drew and I will talk at length about that uh, when we get back from this commercial break. And we're back. But before we, we leap into the Paramount, Disney, DreamWorks conundrum. Um, okay, we, we were talking a little bit about Frozen uh, before we get started here, because uh, obviously Frozen 2 supposedly is going to be Disney's next billion-dollar earner, uh, you know, along with you know, Rise of Skywalker, uh, or at least that's what the folks at the studio seem to think. And let's be honest, if Maleficent overperforms, I mean, we could look at a, at a studio with 10 billion dollar grossing movies i mean that is that's pretty incredible that is that is and, and uh, you know but i think you and i have also talked about how that puts tremendous pressure on the studio for 2020 and you know frankly it, it just doesn't look like they have that sort of gas in the tank for next right year. anyway uh, getting to uh Frozen 2, just a couple of days ago, that there was all this hoopla about we're 100 days away from the November 22nd release date of this Chris Buck, Jennifer Lee movie. And back on August 10th, did you did you see this thing that uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez put out? I about? did. And when I saw it in your, in your notes, I was like, yeah, I, I saw that too. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. The, so on the 10th, she's, she, she, Kristen tweets out, I can't tell you anything, but something super exciting and magically musical happened today. And then as a follow-up, on the, the, on the 11th, she can say, I can tell you it had everything to do with Frozen 2. And then uh, one of, I guess, her followers uh, who knows Josh Gad, a tech girl, came back and said, Josh Gad said that the music and songs for Frozen 2 are even better than the first movie. Seeing what you and Bobby did for the Broadway musical, I'm not sure my heart can take it. And and while That's your favorite Broadway show, Jim, right? <laughs> You're so mean. Um, but speaking of the, the, the Broadway show, the national tour of Frozen the musical... Uh, kicks off in Schenectady, New York, in November, November 10th through the 14th, and then uh, Drew, it's it heads right to your neighborhood. It's it's it, I know it's going to L.A. into the Pantages Theater from December 4th to February uh, 2nd, 2020. I would actually, love to see it. Yeah, if anybody out there is listening and wants to, you know, throw me a couple tickets, I would love to go and I'll talk about it on the show. But okay. yeah. Well, you know, the, the if you ever get back to, to visiting mom in Connecticut, they, they have jiggered the schedule 
a little bit for Broadway. In fact, it's starting on August 27th. They are, they're dropping their Wednesday matinee in favor of a Sunday evening performance. Interesting. Well, you know, it, it, it's weird. Beauty and the Beast back in the day, especially after it moved to the Fontaine, uh, did the same thing. And I, I'm told that this is kind of being done because, you know, as of August 27th, the kids are largely back in school. The tourists have gone home. And, you know, by scheduling a Sunday night performance, and in fact, they, what is it, on Sundays, Frozen will be present, presented on Broadway. There'll be a 1 p.m. matinee and a 6.30 evening performance. But, you know, there, there aren't a whole lot of shows on Broadway that do performances on Sunday night, so you can effectively sort of sop up people who are looking for a theater ticket that night. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, speaking of Broadway, I forgot to tell you this on the show, but I talked to Matt Frewer a few weeks ago, and I asked him about the crazy Hercules premiere. Oh. Which you know I'm obsessed with. Yes, um, yes, as yes. it should be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and he said he was there, and it was the craziest thing he'd ever been to. But, you know, oh. just as an aside. And and remember, we are just a, a week or so out now from Hercules, uh, the Shakespeare in the Park production. You're not going, though, right? I, uh, to Drew, I, I have been trapped in this house all summer, okay? I, if I have to walk there and sit there to get my free ticket, I will do it. You know, it just... Well, it, it, I mean, it, that's sort of the issue with why I didn't go, is because I don't want to... It's a, it's a first-come, first-serve... It is. It is. You know, thing, so... On the other hand, if... If someone at Disney Theatrical wants to take pity on me, you know, who am I to say? You know, you know, who wants to see a fat man sit by a, you know, a wall in the park for hours and get sunburned? Okay. You know? <laughs> All right. What else we got? Oh, well, again, let, let's talk about the big announcement. Face it, you and I have been watching, you know, Spies in Disguise being retooled. You know, we, we talked about how. You know, the release date got pushed back to, you know, for the, what, third time to December yeah. of this year. And Mark Ronson was brought in to redo the music. And we saw Reba McIntyre. And I forget the, the other person who was brought in to, you know, do new voices for the film. Um, so that suggested that this, this Disney was taking a, a much more active, hands-on position with what Blue Sky was doing. But... We definitely got that confirmed. Uh, what is it? Six uh, six days ago, when yeah. uh, what was it? Alan Horn and and Alan Bergman announced the Disney Studio president uh, Andrew Milstein was being named as the co-president of Blue Sky Studios. So, and and not only that, but uh, Clark Spencer, who okay, I think you you and I both you know uh, love Clark. Yeah, yeah. He he got promoted when the company he's going to be. That much more hands-on at Disney Studios. But it does kind of speak volumes about the fact that, okay, face it, you and I have talked about, you know, where does a, a Blue Sky Studios fit with the Disney that has a Pixar as well as feature animation? And right, it looks like Disney's at least going to make a run at it. You know, the fact that, you know, Andrew's now in the mix there and, you know, he's been at the studio for years. Yeah, he's great. I mean, under his leadership, you know, we've seen the kind of like reemergence of Walt Disney Animation Studios as a real creative force, both within the company and then in, you know, the animation scene at large. So I, it'll be interesting to see what he does. But this issue of the identity of each um, studio is really something because it can't, it's not going to boil down to just like 
DTV stuff that Disney Toon Studios was doing. It's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that simple. No, no. In fact, you know, that that with a, now adding a Blue Sky Studios to the repertoire, you know, I, I wonder if we're going to see a refocusing of both what Pixar does and Walt, what Walt Disney Animation Studio does in response to, you know, we got to create a role, a position for Blue Sky. And um, you and I have talked a little bit about this off air, but, right. you know, let's let's face it. If you look at, like, the last five to ten years worth of of Disney films, you know, it's going to remember when, when John Lasseter came through the door and in, you know, January of 2006 and, you know, became the Ubermeister of, you know, Disney animation. There were a couple of shaky years there where, you know, we had, you know, Chris Sanders chased off of American Dog, which became Bolt, and all the work that was done on Meet the Robinsons to try to get it, to, you know, in some sort of shape. And then we we finally got started to get the sort of the Lasseter-era versions of Disney films. And it, it did take them a while to sort of you know, figure out what would work. And, you know, I, I would argue out of that pile, the most Disney of those films, what do you think, Tangled and Frozen? And Moana. And, and Moana. Yeah, oh. I mean, I, it, it seems like the, the current Dis- Walt Disney Animation Studios output is either, like, there's sort of two paths, and one of them is, like, super modern, mm-hmm. like Zootopia, Wreck-It Ralph, mm-hmm. Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is much more classically... Disney, which is the Tangled, the Frozen, and the Moana. And it's really interesting to see those two kind of paths. And I don't know if that was a conscious choice. Like if someone's saying, okay, one of these, one of these. But mm-hmm. it, it really f- feels like that to me, at least. Um, you know. And, and let's be completely honest here. A Big Hero 6, a, a Wreck-It Ralph, uh, and likewise a Zootopia... I think, quite honestly, could have just as easily gone on under the Pixar label. Uh, whereas, if you you if you look at the Pixar side of the fence, Brave could just as easily have gone out under the Disney label. Yeah, I was gonna say there's no, there's very little dissimilar from Brave to Tangled, except mm-hmm. that one is an out and out musical. I guess that's really the only What's, thing that sets it apart. Well, and, and in fact, um, don't you and I keep hearing about? The Pixar musical. Well, there's been there's been trying they've been trying to do a Pixar musical since Coco was Coco originally a musical. Go yeah, I remember hearing at one point they were what eleven or twelve songs for Coco. Um, wow. It, you know, in fact, it's interesting that, that we brought up the D twenty three Expo because remember when they they did the. The shoebox version of Coco, they showed that amazing it's my highlight. my favorite thing, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they basically, the camera, you know, this continuous camera move that took you through the world of the dead and all of these dancing, singing characters, and it's like, holy cow, this this would have been amazing. Or, or, or likewise, I think they actually included, as part of the cut scenes on Coco, they, they show the, the, the dinner theater show. Um, oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, so, um, but, but you know, of course, the, the irony is that, you know, when they they talked about, you know, the original Pixar film Toy Story, you know, one of the rules for that film was no happy village, no, you know, no, what a trouble to the rest of us is Bill. It's like, no, we're not making that movie. Right. Um. So, 
face it, Lasseter was was the taste master. Uh, you know the the you know the final call on so many story decisions and all mm-hmm. that. And for me, it was kind of interesting to to watch people talk about Toy Story four and sort of walk around the notion that maybe the reason this one didn't exactly stick the landing like two or three was because John was gone. That's that's bullpucky. Okay, I, <laughs> all right. You haven't you haven't watched it yet, have you? I, I I'm oh, I'm God. getting there. I, you know, again, Jim, you know, on my so way back from God. Hercules in New York, I will find a place that this is going. <laughs> um, but let's also be honest though that that Disney and Pixar with the Blue Sky situation. Um, you know, if if we turn our attention to Comcast, they're they're dealing uh, honestly with the exact same issue in, in regards to Illuminations and 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 DreamWorks. Um, you know, yeah. pretty much uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, you know, that they pay what three point six uh, billion dollars for uh, you know DreamWorks uh, back in April of two thousand sixteen, and it's not. Uh, you know, it, it it's what is it? Two months later, they they're, they're talking about how, you know, here comes Shrek Five, and Chris Merleandri is is going to be involved with the reboot of, of Shrek Five, and is Puss in Boots. Um, right. And in fact, if you, you look at their upcoming schedule, I mean, you you've talked about Abominable, and you know how wonderful that looks, and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. once we start looking at at you know, DreamWorks release schedule for, you know, uh, 2020 and beyond. It's, you know, April 2020 is Trolls World Tour and then December of that same... Which I cannot wait. I can't wait for Trolls World Tour. I have to admit, I love the trailer and uh, also, (laughs) to be honest, if, you know, if I'm I'm blipping around the the television, you know, uh, the channels and land on Trolls, especially in the, you know, the final dining room scene... Uh, mm-hmm. it, that's uh, you know that's it. I get a five to ten my minutes of my life is gone. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that scene. Right. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, Crudes two December of next year, March of two thousand twenty one. We've got Boss Baby two. We we don't get our our original DreamWorks uh, Spooky Jack till two thousand uh, September two thousand twenty one. Which is interesting because that's a Blumhouse co production. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I must say, I I must say, when I was at DreamWorks a few weeks ago, I saw art from Trolls and um, Crudes on the wall, mm-hmm. which you know goes along with my really annoying habit of getting lost coming back from the bathroom. But, I, 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 I I always applaud that instinct. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, some of the stuff was really incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm I'm very ex- I mean, I hope at the very least they'll kind of expand things with this. I mean. I don't know who wants a boss baby, another boss baby movie, quite frankly. But I, you know, it's it's so interesting you say that because just last night, uh, boss baby was on, and again, same thing. You know, just sort of you know, you know, looking for something to watch at ten o'clock at night, and it was the the chase scene. You know, where the the kids on training wheels and the other babies are dealing with the the very Chuck Jones-looking hood who's dressed as Mary Poppins at the time. Right. And it's got, I mean, it had some wonderful design and some really clever animation. And it just, I, you know, I, I think the weird thing with Boss Baby is, is if you're watching it just in chunks, 
there's just some amazing stuff and it's it, such amazing um, design so you know if they're going to circle back to this world I mean I'll check it out uh, right. it, it won't necessarily be you know right at the top of the list but I'll definitely check it out but but again I, I circle back to our point how do you delineate you know especially now with with Chris in kind of the John Lasseter position what an illumination film is versus what's a DreamWorks film and right. you know and and when I look at this schedule you know for the the next two years or so I see at least in the DreamWorks side you know especially with a Shrek five out there kind of still finding its way at least on the DreamWorks side they seem to be leaning into their established franchise right and and but at the same time if you you look to the illumination side of the fence we've got what Minions two coming uh. Is there officially a Despicable 4 now, or...? Well, it sounds like Minions and Despicable 4 have kind of coalesced into one thing. Okay. Because it's called Rise of Gru. Mm Mm-hmm. So it feels like that's kind of the next Despicable Me, but you've got another Sing coming. Mm -hmm. Yep. You were supposed to get a third Pets, but I don't think that's going to happen anymore. (sighs) I think everybody was kind of surprised by that. In fact, it's interesting... You know, talking about, of course, Comcast, you know, buying DreamWorks Animation, and one of the reasons they did this, uh, in fact, I I have the the quote here from, let's see, uh, yeah, this is uh, the head of Comcast, Steve Burke, talking about, you know, uh, know, the overall goal is to maximize revenues by creating popular characters that can be licensed out for lucrative spinoff merchandise and theme park attractions. And so if you, you, you've heard the stories about what's being prepped for Epic Universe, you know, the, the, the fourth, arc, arc, all right, <laughs> third theme park and one water park, um, you know, that, that's in the works for Universal Orlando, uh, there was a How to Train Your Dragon world, or there still is a How to Train Your Dragon world. Uh, but, you know, on, on the heels of what just happened with Hidden World, you know, it, it's like, wow, do do we really want to go there still? You know, yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, the, the only have you have you, you haven't done the Kung Fu Panda attraction yet either, have you? In Hollywood? It, it's doing. I am due to get out to L.A. this fall, and you know, hope to get over there. In fact, that's what's kind of interesting about that is that the story has been that that was supposed to come into Universal Studios Florida as the replacement for Shrek 4D. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know now the thinking was that I guess, uh, or I guess the, the original plan was the front of the park was going to be an Illuminations Entertainment District, and and Shrek 4D was going to go away, and it was going to be replaced by the, you know, the Secret Life of Pets off the leash attraction that's opening at at Universal Studios Hollywood next summer. But um, and but as you just mentioned with. How to Train Your Pets 2, underperforming at the box office. You can understand why Comcast might be a little hesitant to, you know, be going forward with that plan and maybe will be circling back around to the Kung Fu Panda attraction, the 3D movie replacing Shrek. Um, Yeah, although that's kind of lackluster, though, too. I mean, you never, there's never a wait for that, really. Um, Well, you know, I guess what's ironic is I've heard from so many friends at the pre-show where you basically have the, all of the DreamWorks characters squabbling about who the yeah. movie is going to be is so much more entertaining than the actual movie. You know, Correct, uh, yes. 
So I don't well, know. Well, the other thing that's that's kind of interesting is that you we we talked about the la- this last time, but Bento Box was purchased by 20th Century. Well, whatever the remaining new Fox, <laughs> Dis- and Disney is releasing a Bob's Burgers movie next year. <sighs> and then I've heard I, I know that we we talked a little bit about this, but that Locksmith, the British studio, which mm-hmm. is doing a movie called Ron's Gone Wrong next yep. year, mm-hmm. that Disney is releasing. They've severed ties with them. But I'm I'm sure you're also hearing that one of the announcements that's supposed to come out of that uh, Simpsons panel mm-hmm. is the official announcement for the second movie. Woof. Wow. Yeah, the oh. second Simpsons movie. So that, again, is like, who's producing that? You know, what? Yeah, so I, it's really interesting. And I, 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 I hate to say it, but coming out of this year with so many sequels, not connecting or underperforming at the box office i would think you know if i were chris melandry and you know i was trying to figure out you know what to do with my two animation studios illuminations and dreamworks um how do you you know how do you differentiate those two how do you sharpen the focus and make sure that people look at that and think oh i gotta go see that movie and the Simpsons, if they're announcing a brand new Simpsons movie, you know, on August 24th at this this panel. So what? Realistically, 18 months, two years, right? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. And that's if they find room in the schedule for it. Okay. Because <laughs> now, you know, they're programming 10 more movies a year with the Fox title. So I... <sighs> it could and, be a It could be a great incentive to go on Disney Plus, but I mean, I don't know if that's if they're going to put all that effort and then just de- debut it on Disney Plus, because it feels like that could be a really big hit, like, theatrical movie. So It, it yeah. could. It could. But at the same time, let's be blunt here, Drew. 18 months from now, 31st season of The Simpsons starts this September. So 18 months, two years, 33 years on the air. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> first of all, what story is left to tell at this point? In fact, uh, oh, oh, speaking of shows, did you hear that? That, in fact, I, I I think it's the Springfield Confidential book. Did we talk about this? About I guess fifteen years in, they were they they seriously thought that the show was finally going to end production, and so they were discussing what the the last episode of The Simpsons should be. No, I don't. I think I read another book. I think I read the unauthorized history of. Okay. That was in The Simpsons. But no, tell me the story. Well, it's supposedly the, one of the ideas they toyed with for the final Simpsons episode was that Bart finally learns that Homer actually is Krusty the Clown. His biggest hero and the man who's the hugest disappointment in his life are the exact same person. The notion is that Homer, his entire life, has been leading this double life to be this character. And, and, and you know, I mean, there's precedent. There's that episode where, where Homer was sort of the Renta Krusty uh, the Clown. Well, yeah, and I think when they initially pitched the show, that was supposed to be mm-hmm. the idea, which is why they're design is exactly the same yeah so you know I mean, it would be kind of cool for you know if they did in fact circle back on that for for simpsons too but oh dear lord i mean I, upside is you know you have a lot of nervous animation executives trying to figure out you know how to move forward here in this this extra competitive environment but for our side of the fence 
it's all good because we have lots and lots of stuff to talk about in future episodes of this podcast. And, and I, th- I, th- I think th- I think that D23 will illuminate, not to use a pun here, but <laughs> <laughs> the different approaches that Pixar and uh, Disney Animation will provide because we don't know anything about the next few no, Disney no. Animation movies. So. No. No, that's uh, I have to admit, you're going gonna to be a lot of news coming out in just two weeks' time, folks. And and Drew and I will be will be sharing this. But until that time, Drew, if, if people want to hear more from you, what's going on on, on the light fuse side of the fence? Uh, well, uh, this week we have a great interview with Moshe Feek from Mondo, who ha- has put out the first album, the first soundtrack, and the the sixth soundtrack on great vinyl. And he talks a little bit about that process about what's coming out in terms of merchandise for Mondo. Um, And it's actually a really good, really um, informative episode that we were kind of surprised by. We had Mo as our first guest, actually. But so to hear, because there's no merchandise for Mission Impossible either. So we're always so excited about stuff coming out. And these vinyl releases are amazing. So uh, definitely check that out. And then we just got a really big guest confirmed, but I can't talk about who that is yet but a lot of cool stuff around the corner for sure Uh, it's always such an interesting show okay well we'll can't wait for that and your big surprise guess my side of the fence the usual crud folks we got uh the show that started all disney dish with lentesta we have let's see a universal joint with dustin fuse we have looking at lucasfilm uh with dan z uh we have i want that with michelle Valladolid. we actually recorded one folks it'll be out shortly uh and of course uh marvel us disney with the amazing aaron adams uh, and of course, the, the the podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, tell you what, if you want to do Drew and I a favor, please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only fine tuning but also light the fuse. And if you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would help uh, keep the lights on, so to speak. And I guess that'll do it for this week, Drew. You know, and uh, <sighs> We'll have to record like a live episode or something out of D twenty three next week. Even though you won't be there, I can I can call in and okay, but l- yeah, let's do that. I can. Uh, <laughs> love to hear you you calling in from the echoey Anaheim Convention Center floor. <laughs> so, all right. Until then, folks. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.